Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your black and white audio tonic to the seemingly never-ending nightmare that is being a fan of Fulham FC right now. It was truly the stuff of nightmares this weekend as Fulham suffered the ignominy of conceding not one, but two goals to a side who failed to register a shot on target. It was very much the comedy cottagers, woe is me, whites, farcical Fulham at Turf Moor, but we here have another name for it, Fulhamish. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host this evening and joining me are a couple of proper dream boats to try and put that nightmare to bed. Fresh face for January and dressed to kill as ever, Farrell Monk is here. <laughs> How do? Bespectacled, bearded, beautiful and burdened by Burnley, it's Ben Jarman. Wow, again with the fire intros, I like it. And last but by no means least, it's the WKD warrior, Kanzanova, the Adonis of the away day. <laughs> Don Betts is in the building. Hello, hello. <laughs> Slow day at work, was it, Jack? <laughs> no day at work. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, before we really take stock of that Burnley game, our three-word reviews this weekend had some wonderful entries. Farrell, would you do the honours? I've had an absolute joy session uh, going through the three-word reviews today. Uh, so thanks very much. I, I wish I could have more, but we've only got an hour on the podcast. But uh, BC Browns, Fulham outscore Fulham. Nick West, stop hitting yourself. Uh, <laughs> Daniel FFC, own goal hell. Romeo Dunn, Dilly, sorry, Ding Dilly gone. Oh, and nice. finally, Paul Mail, Oggy, Oggy, Oggy. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, yeah, very no, good. No, you get very, it. Very good. Yeah, it took me a while. Well, just before we get onto the game, a quick reminder that Fulhamish is back for the season by Labricks and for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Let's get into the great tragedy of Turf Moor then. It's easiest to start on a positive note, probably the only positive note, and probably the goal of the season from Andre Scherler after two minutes. What a strike, Don Betts. Did you get there? Did you see it? Yeah, no. I, I, was, I was in the uh, in the away in 10 minutes before the game started, I think you'll find. What? New Year, New, year, new, new me. <laughs> new year. I just mean I didn't still go down after half an hour, but which is annoying. We didn't start seven bid for 40 minutes, which is a disgrace, I think. I'm going to make a complaint to the formal FA. Formal complaint to Burnley. Yeah, formal complaint to the FA, Burnley, the Premier League, all of them. <laughs> and th- yeah, it, I mean, it, yeah, it was a great ball from Dennis Adoy, great touch from Sher, and he pings it right across the goalkeeper. And, you know, everyone was sort of making comparisons to sort of Kasami's goal against Palace, sort of the way it happened. Except Dennis Adoy replacing Sasha Ruther and Sher, like, coming in for Kasami, which Kasami then tweeted about after the game. And then my favourite reply of the weekend was, like, you know, we still got relegated that season, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, great start. Great start to the game, and you know, I thought from there on we could we just needed to sort of hold on to it for a, maybe go into half time just on that one nil lead, and then we could have built one in the second half. And but you know, again, the, Jeff Hendrick sort of just causes issues. But again, you know, Sherla typical performance from him really scores a wonder goal and was absolute pony for the rest of it. See, I thought I thought he was all right actually for for the large parts of the game. Yeah, but he didn't. I don't. He, he didn't offer really much. I don't. I don't think many oh. players did personally. But you know, any we just didn't. After that, I didn't really see him affecting the game as much as we. I think I thought he could. But you know, again, good as one in the lead. You know, you go away from home, go one lap after two minutes. You expect to, you know, get something from the game. But yeah, after that it was a bit it was just comical, really. Farrell, the the three minutes of hell that kind of ensued shortly after that. Is there any other way to describe it than than Fulhamish? It was ridiculous. I'm usually dishing out the three minutes of hells, but uh, it was it was a crazy, uh, you know, twenty minute period in that first half because it was a bit end to end. 
and then obviously resulted in the two own goals that, that Burnley um, had the outrageous luck for. Um, you know, it, it was kind of typical of Burnley's performance in that in that first half where they had a very specific game plan, which was, you know, they have a, a very well-organised team with, with Sean Dyche at the helm as no surprises there and tried to stifle as many chances. But when they when they won the ball, they got it they got it wide very, very quickly and almost, you know, it was inevitable that it would just be fired from wide positions into the danger area and it caused us no end of problems in that first half. What was different in the second half was that Fulham decided to do the the complete same that Burnley were doing. We were we were winning the ball more effectively and getting it wide and getting it into the danger zone as quickly as we could, and we managed to cause them cause them some problems. Going back to the sort of shambles in the first half defensively, Ben, was it very very obvious that we were missing Alfie Mawson in the middle there? I think so. I think he gives us a, gives us a physicality that the rest of the back three or five in this case don't really give us, and I think he. He's a guy that likes to organise his, his back line and he's a guy that likes to take everything by the scruff of the neck and just get rid of the ball where possible. And, and really, I think the, the easiest way to sum it up is, is as a leader. And I think during that moment where Burnley really put Fulham under pressure, we crumbled twice in three minutes. Had Alfie been there, I think it may have been slightly different. I mean, it really is quite terrible for us to come in every podcast and basically say, every time Fulham put under pressure, they look like they're going to crumble. How much, Dom, is those two goals down to bad luck and how much are they down to shambolic defending? I think the first one is maybe unlucky. On Joe, if we're just looking at Joe, what Joe Bryan's doing in that situation. Yeah. I think there's not really anything. You need to get in the way of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just hits him, unfortunately, and it goes in the back of the net. On, on the other end, with the second own goal from Dennis Adoy, you know, does he need to... I don't know what he's trying to do. We're just trying to get in the way, isn't it? Yeah, I think it, we're watching the highlights and obviously it slowed down makes it look worse than it is. But I think the first one is like Joe Bryan can't do much about it. With the second one, I think you could argue maybe it it was. I think it would be close going in anyway. Jeff yeah, yeah I think close. it was. I think it was going in. To be honest, it does. The Burnley media officer was livid that they weren't giving Jeff Hendry the goal. Well, it makes for a better story, doesn't it? Of two, you know, two own goals and and no no shots on target for for. Uh, I mean, I'd for rather. Burnley. They'd be given the goal just to save the embarrassment, but yeah, just yeah. to save face for Fulham. I said to yeah. him, I was like, I think it's going wide, and this is coming from someone who would love nothing more than for the game to be the goal to be given to Jeff Hendrick. Yeah. We did improve second half, and there were positives to take out of that. Luciano Vieto, after Ben and I slated him to the floor on last week's pod, actually came in and made a real difference and looked sharp and buzzy, and very unlucky not to get his first Fulham goal on the board. Yeah, he seemed to play uh, a lot closer to Mitrovic and, you know, uh, to Sessegnon's uh, detriment. He did offer a lot more than than our dear young young Ryan. Uh, Vieto did play closer to Mitrovic, as I said, and he was picking up all those loose balls that in the first half that we we weren't. We were playing a bit lo- bit longer in the second half. We were playing a bit more direct, but it seemed to be more effective. We seemed to be, you know, winning a, a, a few more up top and getting those second balls where Burnley were get, probably getting a bit tired and a bit leggy because for all the counter-attacks they kept on trying to do, which were largely ineffective. Um, and yeah, Vieto just seemed to use the bit, uh, ball a bit better and was unfortunate, probably not, you know, definitely not to get one goal at least. What did you make of him, Dom? I just don't care if there's positive takes from the game or not because I think, I thought he was better, but when you look there's positive takes from the game, I don't think there is any positive take from the game personally because you lost the game. There, we're now what seven points off Burnley, four, five or six off. Five off t- safety. Yeah, yeah, five off safety. You look up. We got f- five of our next six home games are against the top six. You know, the the it's just 
yes, you can play well in sections, but we've said that after so many games this season. We said it after Leicester. We said it after Arsenal. So I just don't see what... If, is it really a positive that you've played well? I don't think it is unless you get the result because, you know, there, I, I said this many times over the last couple of months, we're running out of games to say, oh, we can take something from it because, as I said, we're playing five of the top six in our next six home games. And, you know, and, and they're, they're, they're games we need to be winning because apart from that, our other home games left are Brighton, Everton, Cardiff and Newcastle. Yeah. And, you know, if we don't get anything... At, I think we don't win at Brighton, it's... We're, I think we're doomed now, but I think that would be definitely doomed because then you're a lot, you'd have to win nearly the rest of your away games. Yeah, of course. I mean, you've got we've got to look at it and try and glean what we can out of the game, right? You know, it's not necessarily whether it's positive or not in the long run. In terms of you look at this Fulham side and you have to kind of even if it's planning for next year, you look at where we go. But you know, Ranieri's substitutions, for example, were bizarre for for large parts of the game and. and Ben, I'd like to come to you. One of the things that really confused me was the the switch from five at the back to four at the back, which which in itself made sense. But in doing so, he took off the only player who was delivering the ball into the box for us, which in Joe Bryan, and and left the Marchand out there. Was there thinking behind that? What was he doing? Well, I thought he's wanted to switch to a four at the back to give us a little bit more impetus going forward. I think one thing that we've been lacking when we play the 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 five is that that extra body in midfield and switching to a four does give us a little bit more going forward. But like you say, Joe Bryan was providing quality crosses throughout the, the majority of the game when he was on. And I think he really does genuinely give us an outlet. And he, for me, is one of the only positive signings that we've actually made this year. And it's only one that seems to be coming on with every single game that he plays, albeit in very small margins. I, I, I thought in the second half... We had 70-odd percent possession in, in that 45-minute period. And other than the two shots that Vieto had, one of them rather fortunate to drop to him and the other one a, a mis- miscued clearance, was that we just aren't very good in possession anymore. We just don't do anything with it. We're very languid. We're very slow. And when you look, when the ball gets to TC, there's no movement for him. And it's even even less so in wide areas. And there's, a, there's one fantastic ball that he manages to pick out for Lamarche on and there's a nice cross that goes in. I think that's where it gets nodded down for Vieto to, for when the shot gets blocked off the line. But other than that, like we didn't really threaten them. I don't think there was no ingenuity, there was no guile, there was no creativity in there. And I think if we are trying to steady the ship, then perhaps it's time to abandon the wingers out wide and just go two up top. Well, there, there, seem, there seem to be it's, more we there. did create a lot of chances, and I, and I think what they what you're trying to sort of say is that they were more sort of out of luck rather than. We had this conversation about Slav last year and it's kind of like, yeah, we've got possession, but what's the point in having possession for possession's sake? If you've got possession, you're not doing anything with the ball. Why you got it? I'd argue apart from the goal, we had two main chances in the game and that yeah. was Chambers header and then the Vieto chance got cleared off the line by James Tarkowski. Yeah. Yeah. It's but so but apart from that, I don't remember us threatening. Yes, we, we had the ball and that was that was all right, but then we didn't. We weren't creating stuff. We weren't. Mitrovic wouldn't really have anything to, to go off. Yeah. And I think again, you know, if you, as you said, what's the point of having the ball for the sake? And Burnley were really comfortable just to sit back and let us have the ball because yeah. they could see we weren't going to do anything with it. Well, the, think, the, the 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 key tactical change, which was going from that five to the four, which I actually kind of preferred, and I think it did stop what Burnley were doing, which was trying to push on and try and get the ball out wide to their fullbacks and the wingers just to get early balls in, which wasn't really happening in the first half because of our sort of lopsided system where, you know, our three front men were trying to 
trying to win the ball high and so were our two centre mids were also trying to push high but they were just easily up the fullbacks were easily getting behind Sessegnon and Schurler and then you're kind of on the back foot and because our fullbacks were were fullbacks they weren't wing backs they just invited them onto our box and we're able well, to get the ball in. I think the thing in. about this five at the back formation is, is as soon as you get past that middle three, it's two on basically a bank of four yeah. because you've got Chambers in there and Seri and then in most Premier League teams, you're going to get a four across the middle at the very least or, or three more commonly and like it's so difficult to defend against an overloading midfield mm. and Fulham under Ranieri especially are so compartmentalised. It's just literally defence forwards there's yeah. nothing in between there's no stability and I think that's one of the pl- reasons why we cannot fashion any good chances and I don't, I'm not pining for Slav don't get me wrong I don't think this is like a me shouting out for, for Slavis to come back because it's not but at least under him we had some sort of guile and some sort of movement and around the area it's telegraphed it's predictable and it's yeah. frankly quite fucking boring are we stuck between stations because we've kind of instead of going from a manager who you know what prioritized possession football but was defensively almost inept we we've gone to a manager who prioritizes not having the ball almost and, and reacting to it instead of picking a manager who was an evolution of slav we've picked the complete antithesis mm-hmm. and now the entire squad is stuck between where they where they are it's not uh, there are players of quality yeah I, I, I totally agree and this is kind of the situation that we really didn't want that you know, changing to a manager who's going to play completely different, and then all of a sudden we've got to got to wait like ten games before performances start coming, and by that time it's it's too late. Um, I do I do agree with some people that say that you know getting rid of Slav might have been the a good opportunity for a new manager. It turned out to be Ranieri to have some time to think about what he really wants in the January transfer window. But you know we're we're running out of games fast here, and it it. it I haven't seen a performance yet that really fills me with confidence. And I think that Ranieri has had enough time to actually start getting the team playing yes. how he wants to. Yeah. And if this is the way that he, his team wants to play, then it's it's not good enough. Dom, obviously Fulham aren't going to stack Ranieri and also making a kind of snap decision like that at this point would probably help nobody. But is there a point where you have to start planning for next year already? Well, yeah, at the moment, I, it looks like if we go down, Scott Parker's going to be our manager next season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, I don't even know if I can justify that with a legitimate response. Well, the only two seasons he's been not been at the club, we've actually done really well and got promoted. Yeah. Every other season has been next to poor, basically. Yeah, I, I, I think they need to start thinking about it because as far as I'm concerned, we are basically down because I don't see us getting the points to survive because, again, as, as I mentioned We've got so many tough home games in, and it's not like we can get up the points and then hopefully get scraps on towards the end. They're in, they're in a crucial period. If we if we think we get all the first weeks, we come to first of April and we're still within a shower, then maybe, but I don't think we will. I, I think now, I think the truth is that we're relying on other people. Uh, and that's the kind of hard truth we've got to face now. This is no longer anywhere near our own hands. Yeah, we we need to rely on the the teams in mid table and you know the likes of Palace and people like that to be beating all the teams around us in order that we can stay afloat because we're playing the top six, pretty much. Either that or their form drops off so much that they become someone that we can match. Oh, okay. like we yeah, can precisely. But, you know, we're looking at teams like Bournemouth, who are in a horrible run of form, and, and Leicester, that they need to beat every single one of the teams around us from now on, or we're in real, real trouble, right? Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's still there's still quite a lot of games. I know we're saying we're running out, but I'm just running out in terms of performances. But, you know, there's still a lot of football to be played. Yeah. You know, kind of... 
the, the thing that we can say from this is that there were teams like Wigan who were stayed in the league for such a long time who would have be poor for the first half of the season. Everyone would be like, well, this is time they finally go. But then Roberto Martinez used to get them really organised and get them going again. Do you remember that run, I think, the season before Martinez left, that um, they were bottom at Christmas, I think. They were the first time team ever to survive after being bottom at I Christmas. I think so, yeah. And then they literally went on some... They went on a hell of a run. They beat, like, United away. I think they beat um, City. They, I think they beat a lot of those top teams. And they went, like, 7-9, and nine, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, I think the one game that they lost was against Fulham, that... That in that run, I yeah. think, if if memory serves correctly, Fulhamish. Well, yeah. but I, I feel, yeah, but I feel like even with that Wigan team, they had the team spirit that they knew they could get out of it. I just don't see that, and a lot of players had been yeah. there for a, a long and time. And I don't, I don't see that from this club. I don't really see any identity within the squad at the moment. I think I, mean, I don't players. see, I don't see them fighting for each other, let alone fighting for the fighting for the, for the team. So, you know, I just don't, I just don't see it. I don't see anything that given me any positives I think we can get out of this because every time we play the top team we've been torn to shreds yeah I mean people are crying out for change but we can't change it because frankly past that starting 14 players that we have it's frankly woeful and then like you say Don we're really lacking a case of identity here because we don't know if we're playing with the ball playing without the ball playing on the counter playing wide playing narrow no one knows what the hell's going on it just changes from week to week but even if let's say we are preparing to go down then we can't Obviously, a lot of players might be looking to move on. Obviously, there's been such a lack of Johansson, McDonald, sort of in the squads recently. But then, if we're looking, if we're going, if we're going to go, end up going down, they're the sort of players you're actually going to need. Yeah, mm. and well, even then, TC is going to go, Cecil will go. Uh, if the thing and then all like, the loan signings will go as well. You got Sherlock yeah, will go, and Sarah will go, and Greece will probably end, end up losing. And we'll buy, we can buy uh, Lucas Piazon in a fire sale next summer because Chelsea won't be allowed to loan anyone out though. So that's all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like. <laughs> Like the worst thing is that one of one of our players has come out and said we're in deep deep trouble. But he's a player that doesn't seem to want to do anything about it, other than shoot from forty five yards every time he gets. I don't know. He made golf for his team in the week. So <laughs> did he really? Yeah. Oh my god, that's a real way. That really affirms like <laughs> how much golf Crooks knows about. He said, "Yeah, Andre Shadow made team a week, and he thinks we can stay up." I was going to close this section by asking, "Is that it? Are we done?" But I, I think we've kind of gone there. I think we've done it as as part of the thing. So. You know, on the flip side of that, we are in the transfer window. Fulham are linked with names. We're going to discuss all of the latest transfer gossip after the break. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I am listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Jack Collins. I'm joined by Ben Jarman, Wagwan, Don Betts, yeah, 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 and Farrell Monk. What up? That was interesting. As <laughs> responses go, let's talk transfer rumours. Let's talk. You know, all the players in the world that Fulham are linked with, starting with the one that looks like it's a 100% done deal. Ryan Babel coming in on a six-month loan from Besiktas. £1.5 million sort of fee, looking at for a six-month loan before his contract runs out. So he is playing for a place. He is going to be playing for a new contract, all those kind of things. What are your thoughts on Ryan Babel? No. <laughs> I, I actually quite like the thought of having Ryan Babel in. He'd probably be the first out-and-out out winger that we've signed since, like, I don't know. Simon D Davis. Yeah. <laughs> Ashkander Jagger. Like an actual sort of out-and-out out winger. Someone who it's actually a master in his in his position. And he's he's definitely got quality. He's obviously reignited his career now. He's back at Betchcast. And he's just been... He's now found his... Uh, I've just butchered that. Yeah. <laughs> ben Jarman is, like, <laughs> creasing on the, <laughs> uh, on the other side over there. Um He's just got back into the Dutch fold, which is good for him at 32 years old. I mean, he 
I, I mean, thought it to was be like fair, 35, 36. It is not that hard to get into the Dutch team. That said, the Dutch team are on a big... Yeah, the Orange are on a big old resurgence, actually, Dom. No, I'm not having that. Look, if if they can... I thought the Nations League wasn't a joke to you. And they're in the Nations League. I only care what England play. Frankie de Jong was probably the best midfielder in the world. No, but I mean, in their attacking options, I don't think they have loads. Quincy Promise, son of a serious player. No. Yeah, mate. Nah, I don't think Babel makes sense as signing in general. I do. I think so. I think I don't. I, I like. I don't. I, this is conspiracy, but I think Ranieri's got some sort of agenda against Cess. Well, like, to be honest, I, I don't think, think Cess has been playing that. No, well. he hasn't. But I'd rather persist with someone like Cess than getting some old geezer like Ryan Babel in. Well, who are you going to play on the other wing? I'd have I'd have Cess and Babel either side of Mitrovic. Nah, I, I, I don't know. I just I, it's just a signing, and it does. Of, you'd have him ahead of Schurler. That's not that hard, is it? Well, that's it. That's these yeah, are the but at the moment, I don't think yeah. it's going to be that much better than Andre Schoeller. I think it's. The, I don't think it's the sort of. This doesn't interest me in the slice. I mean, Ryan Babel. Personally speaking, I think he's going to be ahead of. I, I would choose him ahead of Cess at the moment. Yeah, Cess hasn't been playing well, but I'd rather give Cess the opportunity. Years old, man. Yeah, I know, like, but you know, <clears throat> Ranieri's been given a, a job to keep the team in the league. And we need a player who's good. And now you think Ryan Babel's a solution for that? You must be mad. I didn't say it was a solution, but I'd I'd think he's a better option than Sessegnon. I've been, I've this been is tracking Ryan Babel for a while now, right? And, and weirdo. I like Besiktas, but even more weird. It's one of those things where obviously the the Turkish league isn't a particularly good parameter of anyone's ability. No, but, but it does mean you're. It, one thing I will say about it that if you're doing well in Turkey, it means you can handle the physicality yes. in the Premier League because it's arguably one of the most physical leagues in Europe. Mm. You saw, obviously, now with Pepe moving back to Porto, but he's moving back to Portugal, which is a more of a technical league. I guess we can say. I guess you can say the game's slow. I think the get the, 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 the pace of the game in Turkey's relatively quite, quite quick. I'd say, and yeah, it's it a, bit, a very physical game. So I mean, from that from that sense, yes, it would be, be alright. I just it just isn't one that. Think oh he could be critical to a staying up. I think I think one of the things we haven't we haven't discussed is that Mitrovic isn't getting chances right. We just talked about the fact that Fulham in possession are pretty diabolical a lot of the time. What we need is some dynamism, someone that's going to be able to play a lot of positions, who can run off Mitrovic as a two, who can play wide in a three, who's able to create and score goals on a six month loan deal. For what where we are right now, I just don't think we're going to get much better than Ryan Babel. George Williams, get him in. And also, like as as Ben says before, I mean, as much as we like Flora Ite and Niskins Cabano, they're they're quite clearly just not good enough. Well, Ite will move with a link back to France, though. Wouldn't he? I don't think I don't think Ryan Babel's good enough either. It, like this year alone, he's missed I think it's seven or nine matches with injury. Um, he's not really got the minutes. Last season, he produced a good amount of goals, but this season, he's done relatively speaking nothing. Besiktas haven't been in the Champions League this year. No. Um, they haven't been doing particularly well in the league. They're fifth currently. Babel's not having any sort of impact in there in in Besiktas at the moment. I'm not sure he'll have much of an impact at Fulham either. There Plus is one. there is moments though that the reason that Babel hasn't been playing for one aside from injury is there's a load of political things going on behind the scenes at Besiktas, and basically the fans have turned on him because they think he's demanding too much money from the club. So there, there's this basically weird behind-the-scenes thing going on. A lot of the people that I've spoken to in Holland and in Turkey 
think that he needs to get out of there because it's becoming a toxic atmosphere, not because he's not good enough to be in that side. The whole of Besiktas at the moment is a political minefield. This is a club that they wanted to be like the Chelsea of Turkey, as in making themselves globally viable, globally sustainable and a global brand in the next 18 months. This is a team that sporting director doesn't have a clue what kind of player he wants to sign it's a sporting director that, right that in, sold Cenk Tosun and then signed Wagner Love and um, Legend of the game Yul, um, Yulmaz like in, in, in two transfer windows like he doesn't have a clue what's going on and like I I follow Besiktas like you do Jack and like nothing's going right over there at the moment and I don't think that solving Babel is our problem or, uh, sorry our solution I also don't think it like our problem to worry about what's happening in, with Babel I think it's probably the wrong signing okay alright let's, let's talk about let's talk about someone else Marco Piak is linked this was a name that interests me now this but, is someone I like but and you know that uh, yes but it's also in fact far higher than Babel in terms of his injury problems yeah so he's coming back from a long term injury at the moment and he hasn't exactly been pulling up trees for Fiorentina but Fiorentina are a team that rely quite heavily on uh, Federico Chiesa for everything that they do and they also play quite narrow whereas Piaka likes to play quite wide and have an impact in, in, in those areas close to the touchline and cutting in and he's always looked really really exciting ever since he came from uh, Croatia uh, for Juventus and looked like one of the next big things and he's always had quite a good influence on the game when he's played for for all three of those teams it's just that he struggled a little bit with Fiorentina I, th- I think my I've issue with with, with Piaka is oh, I have it, I'd rather have him over Ryan Babel obviously I just don't know if he's the dynamic winger we're yeah. necessarily looking for I think he's more of a technical winger mm. but you know yeah again he, we know you know the quality that he's got after, after seeing him in Syria and watching him for his, for his national side I just don't know if he's the dynamic winger we need is it it'll be a, a player bringing him in on a, another big wages so or I don't I don't really he'll be a great signing but is it the player we need right now no if we were to stay up and let's say we got him in the summer then yeah I think that'd be yeah, a good maybe, signing yeah. but I think at the moment it's not really the player we need we I think we need players who are going to make an instant impact, and I don't know if he would do that. Yeah, I mean, we're going to need players in all areas of the pitch that add pace to us. It doesn't necessarily have to be in wide areas, but it can also be through the centre, and I don't think Piaka can particularly play in the number 10 role or in a midfield berth. OK, all right, let's keep moving. Divock Origi from Liverpool. Farrell, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this one. Uh, he's watching the Liverpool Wolves game where he started uh, in the FA Cup third round. I didn't see anything that really filled me with any sort of confidence. Yes, he got the goal and the commentators were purling about what a great finish it was, but I, I kind of felt it was a little bit lucky. Just He he got lucky with the with the first touch and he kind of played himself into trouble and just threw his left foot at it. And it was, you know, got a good connection on it and whatnot, but went through about 10 bodies to get 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 through to the, the back of the net. But apart from that, he was largely ineffective. He seemed too keen to impress he was overdoing a lot of things. He misplaced a lot of passes. He wasn't really physical enough. He obviously is lacking a lot of match practice and match fitness. And, you know, is he the gamble that we need to take? Probably not. Ben? For me, Origi is literally the epitome of sublime to the ridiculous. Um, like he's like Farrell says, he can score fantastic goals like he did the other day, but then he's not really capable of linking play for example he's not a very good decision maker and I think the last two or three moves he's had away from Liverpool on loan haven't really worked out for him there was that dreadful loan spell to Lille 
I think yes. there was. Mm, and then there was an even worse one to Wolfsburg, I think it was. And neither of them have worked out. And I think Origi, for someone that promised so much, has delivered so little. And again, I don't want to seem like such a downer, but I don't think any of these players that we're mentioning so far are going to be what we need. I'm going to shift the conversation defensive uh, and I'm going to bring up a player that I know Dom and I disagree on. Uh, we've been linked with Yusuf Sabali, a right back from Bordeaux. Dom, I'll let you open the... No. <laughs> <laughs> this should be fun. What's, the, I, I, What's wrong I, with him? I, I don't see why we need to... Why? I like, like... We need a right back, but I just... At a moment, I think I'd rather go Victor Moses than Sabali. Just because I know... Victor Moses never played right back as in not a right wing back. And if we're yeah. looking at someone that can play both wing back, yeah, and I, right I, back. I, I, I get that. But would Sabley make an instant impact? As I said, no. I think you know. Again, it would probably be a good summer signing. But I think in January, right now, what we need is players who have played in the Premier League before. I think it, that is vital for the players we're going to bring in at the moment because they we need to know they're up for the fight in the Premier League. Know what the league's about. And I think Victor Moses, if we are to, to stick with this five at the back or three at the back system, I think. Moses would be would know he's had to play right wing back. He was phenomenal there under Antonio Conte in his in his first season at Chelsea. I I sadly again like like Mario Piazza, I think it's it would be good signing in the summer, but I just don't know if it's the right time now. That's the thing. I think this, this, with January, you know, you don't really get value for money there at all. And I think that you know you need to be signing players you know are going to make an instant impact and not want to become a famous lives of like I don't know Savio Nazareco or something like that. No, I mean, I get that, but I, I don't think that. Sabli would have any less fight than the likes of Victor Moses. In fact, I'd argue probably more. Victor Moses is is done. He you know he's made his career. He's made his money. Sabli is an up and coming right back, eager to make his mark in the world. You know, as opposed to getting someone cross town because they're not getting enough game time. I think you'd be much more likely to get someone who's hungry to stay up as a twenty two year old than you would as a, a kind of thirty year old on the on the peak of going into retirement or moving to the MLS. I don't know. I I don't. Sabli, as, as I said, I think he, I'm not saying it's a bad signing. I just don't know if it's the signing, sort of signing we need right now. Ben, what are your thoughts on Sabli? I like Sabli, to be honest with you. I think he offers quite a lot, and I was really pleased when we were linked with him in the summer. But I, always, I don't know about Victor Moses either. I, I sort of see both of your arguments, to be honest. I think if we carry on with a five at the back, I think Victor Moses give us, gives us the dynamism that perhaps Cyrus Christie can't give us. And I know for a fact that Dennis Adoy cannot give us. However, it means that we have to shift out some players first, and that's a lot more complicated than it seems. But I think should we secure the services of Sabali, then he's someone that we could use when we're in the championship because I can't see him signing really for six months. Signing for six, yeah, six months to leave. I can't see us letting him do that. But at the same time, I don't know why he wouldn't sign for, like you say, someone like PSG or or someone a bit bigger. Mauricio Isla. From Fenerbahce. It's going not 2013. Back to, well, I agree with you. I'm just telling you the players that he linked with. And Look, we're staying at right back. I'm and then gonna, let's I'm go gonna, with Mauricio Isla. I'll offer one one pearl of positivity amongst all this absolute dross we're linked with. Isla's very, very, very good for Chile. And he, he also really stuck his finger bad. up Cavani's bum once. <laughs> he was really, really bad for QPR, though. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not, it's not 2012, 2013. Like, Mario Isla just doesn't make any sense. Man's won back-to-back Copper Americas. Yeah, but we're also not chilly. Yeah, that is true. Maybe that is fucking, quite chilly. Maybe cold moment. by the river, mate, but it's not. <laughs> we're not <laughs> chilly. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, keep going. Andreas Samaras from Benfica. I like this one. Right. Okay, I like go this on. one. I, I think he's a good player, like uh, a very dependable defensive midfielder. It's someone that you're really going to struggle to figure out who to put next to him, though. And obviously, where does Chambers go as a result of this? Because I don't think you could have a double pivot of Chambers and Samaras because. 
their creativity will be verging on zero. Um, so is it a case of we put in Samaris and then Chambers disappears back into the centre-half uh, slot? Could well be. It's also a case to say that, you know, could we be changing up formation and we just go 4-2-3-1 with Chambers and Samaris in there and then maybe TC or Seri in front? But I kind of like it. I think he may cost us a fair whack from Benfica, though, because they traditionally never let anyone go on the cheap. OK, let's finish this off with the one that refuses to go away. Gary Cahill from Chelsea. Farrell, good or bad deal if this comes through? I would say good. Um, I do. I've always really kind of uh, liked Gary Cahill. He's, you know, he's been kind of a stalwart for, for Chelsea and the wider Premier League for quite a number of years now. He's definitely the experience that we would we would quite like. He's he's a good two footed footballing playing centre back, which is obviously you know in in keeping with how Fulham like to play. We've got some good footballing playing centre backs already there. Mawson, Lamarchon, Rima, Doy are all pretty handy with the ball at the feet, and I think Cahill fits into that. Um, and you know it's it's not like he's been out the team for like two or three years at Chelsea. You know it's only really this year that he hasn't been able to get close to to the uh, West Londoners um, so I do I do like it as an idea but I think there's a lot probably internally at Chelsea that seems to be stalling it Ben I like the option I like the leadership involved in it I would only do if it was one a very short term loan or like a, a short contract like with us I don't see him dropping down into the championship anytime soon that's for sure Dom yeah, I think it is. I think our centre-back just screams no leadership whatsoever and any team who's successful in any sport needs a leader. I think Alfie Mawson? No. <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's done well when he's come in, but I wouldn't say he's the leader at the back and I think Kale would provide that. And yeah. I think, as I said, if you look at any successful, especially if you, look at, if you look at any team that's won the Premier League, they've always had that commanding lead, centre-back who's leader. Man City, you've got Vincent Company, United, you had Nemanja Vidic, you had Rio Ferdinand there as well. When Arsenal won it, you had Tony Adams... You know, that's why I think Arsenal would, haven't won the league since because they haven't had that commanding centre-back at the, at the back. So I think, you know, you do need a lead there and I think Gary Gale could be that player. But as Ben said, it depends sort of what the terms of the deal are. Also, as kind of, as, as a really random thing, he's, he's a goal-scoring centre-back. He's scored some absolute bangers and he does cause problems at set-pieces as well, which is something we... We don't. Do. We we haven't had for a, a long time now. We don't cause any trouble at set piece. Exactly. You know, maybe Callum Chambers here. Cal- yeah, Callum Chambers says. I swear, all of our best chances seem to fall to Callum bloody Chambers. Well, Ben, let's get on to the question section. Mm. As ever, the questions section is sponsored by Putney Pies, the finest pies in all the land, and you can get ten percent off at Putney Pies by using the quote "Who ate all the pies?" at checkout. Obviously, you mentioned Fulhamish as well maybe a good time to go before the Spurs game nice Sunday afternoon nice walk by the river nice pie uh, could be could be one for you so uh, we mm. might see you down there if you're at Putney Pies before the game my recommendation is the lamb shepherd's pie what do you have to quote who at all the pies exactly or Fulhamish I think they probably do either <laughs> if you're honest off. get 10% yeah. off right Ben hit us with the questions my first question is from our favourite contributor in the whole world it is Richard Soul. Bamba, my guy, Legend. at Captain Zinc. Um, he says, do we have any idea as to the AK-47 situation? Personally thought he would have more of an impact turf more if available. 
Thoughts on this, Dominic Betts? Well, he did have a, he supposedly, I guess I could say, had a bust up Kamara and uh, Mitro in training on Thursday or Friday. I mean, only Kamara yeah. would have a bust up with no, Kamara. I, yeah, from what I've from what I've heard, he had a bust up with Mitro. He swung for Mitro apparently in training. Is the rumours I've heard, and that's why he wasn't in the squad. And Ranieri's exiling him and wants to sell him. I, I, I think wow. it's just a it's a lovely excuse to get him out of the team because he's worse than Capis. That is, yeah. I, I also, well, I also heard rumours that he had uh, been exiled from the squad, but I hadn't heard them in that much detail. It, look, Kamara offers things that very few other players do in terms what, of no footballing ability. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I, I was getting to that, mate. I was getting to that. You know, his physicality, his pace, his power. You know, has been of use in, in certain games. He still doesn't have any ability, which is which is kind of, you know, a shame really. Because if he did, he'd be really good, but. But then he wouldn't be playing for Fulham. But then he wouldn't be playing for Fulham. Look, ultimately, if any, if you know if that story is true, Kamara is also the only person that would swing for Mitrovic. Imagine swinging for Alexander Mitrovic and thinking that that was a good idea. Um, so if it's true, then you know the last thing we need on our hands is a full scale squad revolution. He should go. Good, I like it. Strong answers all round. Uh, next question comes from Lawrence Craven, another regular contributor, and he says, "At the three below, who is most important to keep a hold of for next season, regardless of what happens?" Number one, Alfie Mawson. Number two, Mitro. Number three, Sess. I think the answer is probably, if you could, Mitrovic. But I think that would also be nigh on impossible to keep Mitrovic for another year in the championship. So I'm going to say Alfie Mawson. You build that team around him. You you know, you then look to progress in front of that, I think. And I think he is the natural kind of candidate to, to maybe take the armband and move us forward if we were to be relegated you, you, you'd you expect an exodus of the likes of Mitrovic, Sessegnon Kearney, all of those players that are going to go and, and you need to look and, and develop a squad, I think that someone like Big Frank would be a really useful asset in the championship and I think after the season he's had he actually wouldn't go anywhere at the end of this season and I think that if you look at building a team around that spine you know Mitrovic uh, Mawson and, and Angisa and, and then you look to keep a couple of the other players that maybe you bring in this this window and, and some of the, the Joe Bryan for example that we you know we already discussed on this podcast then I think there is the, the basics of a good championship team you bring back a few of the players that have been exiled you know Johansson and, and McDonald maybe and, and, and bring them into a, a team and, and there is the makings of a side that could compete again I'd still want to say Cess because after this season I can't see actually the big team's going to be snapping him up yeah like, he'll end up going to West Ham or something won't he yeah that's Everton I, I can see I can see, quite see him staying if we go down because you know I said I'd like to see him stay at the club till he's about 21 years 21 years of age and I'll yeah. give him another two years at the club and then let's say we got promoted he would have another crack at the Premier League and I think you know building I'm not saying building around Cess necessarily but I'd like to see him stay and yeah. you know perform again in the championship and then if we got promoted, give it another go. Let's let's say we dropped down to the championship and we didn't get promoted. I wouldn't agree with him for leaving, but I think you know Mitrovic. I can't see staying. I can see him just going going to another side. And you know, yeah, and Mawson again. I can I could see leaving for another club. But again, we would I would like to build around him. But for me, I think most important for me would be Cess. Cool, Faz. Um, if we just go like back to the original question about which one would be the most important. I think in the in the two better seasons that we had in the championship, the one thing that we kept on did kind of lack until we had a player like him was a really really good striker, as we saw in that in that um, season when we had Chris Martin. Chris Martin was kind of like almost like a last resort, and even when it got to January, he wanted to leave as well. And 
having a really top quality striker spearheading all your attacks is is you know almost paramount in in the championship and they're really 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 hard to come by when you're when you you know you, when you're in the championship as well so yeah. i would argue that that Mitrovic would be the one cool uh, next question is from brett rowlands and brett says What's your take on Tony Khan's Twitter response? In this perfectly trained media world we live, I'm proud and happy to see that sort of passion from Tony. We all know the position we're in. Anonymous pot shots online help no one. Good on Tony for calling him out. Lads, Dom, I'll start with you first. I know you've probably got some pretty strong opinions on this. Yeah, if you could do his job first, that'd probably help. <laughs> I mean, like, if I, I'm all for... I don't mind you going off on Twitter, but one, we're doing awful. Two, you're just... Like, just do your job first. Like, if he says, oh, I'm um, at Motswell Park 20 hours a day or whatever he says. I was like, well, you so you spent, what, two months trying or two weeks trying to get finalised Ryan Babble and Gary Cahill. Like, I have, uh, my issue was, was him being pointed in the first place because surely his job role, you want someone who's surely been involved in the sport before, someone who's not been involved in American sports. And he's got three things to control, pretty much. He's got the, the Jaguars. He's now got his stupid wrestling thing. And then Fulham Football Club. Like, I'm, I'm, I really, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Shade Khan, but Tony Khan, as far as I'm concerned, could do one. I, I'd rebut that. I, I think that's, that's unfair. In, in any other business, someone taking on other, if, you know, if Bleach Report decided to sack me for doing Fulhamish on top of my job, I'd be absolutely fuming because I, I would see that as a vested interest in doing other kind of interests without having to compromise what I'm doing as a day job. So I think that the idea that if you have more than one job, you can't have interest in any, anything else is is a mad line. The rest of us do that. The rest of us do that every day. We all have interests and, and other things that we contribute to outside of our working hours. So but I think the point is he's got a lead role in all three of these you, we, we, I don't Whoa. think that's quite fair, Farrell. I know you've <laughs> done the digging here, so I'll let you rebut. So I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I know everything about his day-to-day -day life and, and what he goes on, but I certainly know that in in that kind of world that if you are a director, it's kind of seen as good practice to to go to other um, and have other sort of directorship roles on sort of like a non-executive basis where you don't really get involved in the day-to-day -day work. You're kind of there on the board to to steer things and manage manage other people within the board and make sure that they're, you know, you're driving the strategy in, in, a, in a way that the board of directors should be going. However, I'm not an expert in American businesses and, um, you know, it could be different with this presidency roles and vice presidency roles but they are from what i've heard and who i've spoken to they can be similar there sometimes they there aren't and they they do look after a specific department and are do do things on a day-to-day -day basis but i mean we don't know that for sure we don't know what tony khan's sort of interests are and how much time and he he devotes to it but all you know his job is as sporting director is his player recruitment and you got to hope that he's on the phone you know 20 hours, 20 hours a day. I just don't, I just don't see why get... you ever employ someone in that position who's never worked in football before. See, I, I well, think this kind of screams of the Craig Klein situation. He was put into a position, into a thing where he thought, well, as a lawyer background, I'm going to be getting involved in statistical analysis within a within a championship football club. And that was an absolute disaster, as we've seen. When Everton brought in Roberto Martinez originally, and he went in there and... They, the whole club overhauled what they were doing and brought in strategy and statistical analysis, all of those things that didn't exist in the game at that point at Everton. Over the years, that model has been successful. I think that if we're not looking at statistics and you're not looking at... In what way is that successful? 
Because what have Everton achieved in the last five years? Well, they're a st- solid yeah, Premier but League I, club. I, this is also is that come, not what we this, want? This comes this comes to my point in the Premier League in general, is that realistically, what can you achieve in the Premier League? Yeah, but that's not the point here. No, no? but you know, outside you, the top six, anything you can achieve in the Premier League is being a stable club, and that's yeah. what Everton have done. I don't think success is as cut and thrust as everyone makes it out to mm. be. Success isn't always winning trophies. Success isn't always signing the biggest players. Success sometimes is just stability in a in a market, if we look at it in American facts, like Everton is a small market in comparison to, to Liverpool. I know they're only a mile apart, but Liverpool are three times the size that Everton are going to be. You know, Fulham are a very, very small club in comparison to Chelsea, in comparison to Arsenal, Tottenham. We're never going to be that big. I've got, I'm not I, totally, I totally agree with you, Ben, and this is kind of the wider thing about the club that unsettles me, is that I don't know where you know our club is heading as a as a as a whole are we a statistical yes. model club are we a club that do- completely avoids that are we a club that really wants to challenge for trophies or do we want stability and at the moment i don't know what the club wants i think like just just to finish it off like from my point of view i quite like that he's come out and said this because firstly it's it does show passion for the club in in a situation where he could stand there and he could put his hands up and he could just be like right I'm done then. We won't invest in you. We'll let Fulham. We'll let Fulham drop. We'll, I'll just walk away from it. He's not. He's come out. He said he's committed to the club. Uh, it doesn't matter how many hours he's put in. It's not just Tony Khan there, is it? Let's be frank. There's more than just one guy there. There's a whole team there. There's statisticians. There are scouts. There are head scouts. There are scouting networks across London. There are scouting networks across Europe. If you follow um, Portugal on on Twitter, you will know that there are Fulham scouts out in Portugal looking at the market now. There are Fulham scouts all over Europe. It's not just a computer telling us who mm. to buy. And if you really think that that's the case and you're very, very naive. And like I do I do see the frustration. We've been terrible this year. We don't look like we're gonna get any better, but he is committed to the club and she Khan's committed to the club as well. And if you're gonna start throwing stuff at him if it becomes a point where he throws it all away, then you wonder why, and that's why. I, I'd, I'd add to that. I, I actually don't didn't really like Tony Khan's response. I, I thought it was a bit much, if, if I'm perfectly honest. To but, someone to go to hell is a little bit much. Yeah, but I do I like the fact that he said he was committed to the but, club and he was standing up for himself. Absolutely. And, but also I think it's absolutely ridiculous that everyone has just decided to take t- pot shots on him on Twitter because he's on Twitter. Yeah. You know, we could have... There are owners out there and there are there are dynasties at football clubs that are absolutely wrecking them from within. And this is not happening at Fulham. We're, a, you know, we're in a, a, an era where we're being invested in, where we're being remodeled in terms of the, the ground, Motspur Park 1, Motspur Park 2. They're all being redone under the car's ownership. And yes, let's look at that summer window for a second. When we came out of that window, we were all delighted with the players that we brought in. Yes, they haven't, you know, p- performed. They haven't been up to scratch. But overall, we're, you know, people that feel like we look at this game, we watch this game, we, you know, try and, and, and keep abreast of it as much as possible. And all of us were pretty happy with the business done in the transfer window, were we not? Yeah, yeah abs- absolutely. absolutely. I, just, I just think he needs to start doing his job. And <laughs> stop tweeting people. And not so, cause my, like, why are you not? And half the times he has tweeted, is not he hasn't even been at it. He searched his own name. Okay, fine. Yeah, well, is, I mean, to be fair, if you're in the same position as him and you're getting absolutely battered from side to side, would you not eventually just be like, well, yeah, eventually. Off. But yeah. I've, I've, I'd well, originally first start doing his job. And I, I'm then quite happy for that to improve. I'm, I'm quite all right, happy. All right, this uh, is going absolutely nowhere. I'm just going to move it on to the next question. Fair enough. This is from Gordon, FFC Riverside. Gordon says. Please can the team review our lack of goals from attacking midfield. Both Kearney and Surrey have failed to take enough shots and none of them, only Surrey has registered a goal. I've added that bit in myself. 
Uh, Sessignon and Charlie, anyone who seems to know where the area between the posts is. So any any thoughts on this? Is it just a restriction of Ranieri's formation, for example? Yeah. Are we not getting the best out of TC? You, you can, TC you can say it was a restriction of the way Ranieri's playing, but then the way that Slavisa was playing, you'd argue that should, that would have yielded goals in other field and yeah. it didn't do that. I mean, you know, without Mitrovic and Scherler this season, we've probably, not, we've probably scored about six goals. Well, only four players have scored for us. This yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think well, Scherler got six or seven. Scherler's got, six, got six, six. Mitro's got seven or eight. And yeah. Seth has got one. And then Yeah, so Seri. I think, you know, I think it's just it's a whole it's a whole, te- a whole team's problem. <laughs> but I Jesus, think, that's a tragedy, you know, but, isn't it? You know, I think a good way to look at it was that you need goals in your team. I think the thing that proved that the most is if you look at Watford and you look at Palace, that game, they both don't have a 15, 20 goal scene striker. You know, I know Watford do, do have Troy Dini, but he's not. A, no, you're a from Beatty's bottom. Yeah, but they yeah, get yeah, goals. Like they, they, but they get goals from all over the place. They got mm. obviously Tom Clever, he's got an absolute screamer. You got Kafka, who scored an own goal, but then scored for himself. You know, Ducore will pop up the old goal. Pereira. So, Pereira will score the old goal. So I think you know it's vitally important to be successful in this league to actually have your the rest of your team scoring goals. Yeah, in, it's kind of in contrast to the last two seasons that Fulham have had, where although Mitrovic did score thirteen in that in that second half of the season last year. I mean, all of the goals were spread out so almost evenly, apart from Sessegnon, um, throughout the team. And the year before that, I think our, the top goal well, scorer was Steph. Ser- uh, Steph, Steph, Steph Joe, Steph which was with Kenny. eight or something. Steph and Kenny both got 10 plus, 10 I think, plus. season. They got 11, I think, each. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you go back even further to like one of our more successful periods, when we finished highest in the Premier League uh, with seventh, our top goal scorer was Andy Johnson with like seven or something yeah. like that. Yeah, we, you know, we, you're absolutely spot on on this one, Dom. In, in that there aren't enough goals coming from the rest of the team. Full stop. Not just Kearney and Seri, but those two need to, you know, if they're going to play in that kind of attacking role within the midfield core, then they, then they have to produce goals or assists. And and right now they're producing neither. So it, it's kind of one of those things where yes, they are restricted by the Ranieri system in terms of the centre midfielders are far deeper than they were under Slav. But also, you know, Sarri got one goal under Slav and Kenny got none. So yeah. is this is obviously the the other kind of point is that Slav almost coached Kenny not to shoot anymore. He mm. almost drilled shooting out of his game because he liked to open up teams and and look for the extra pass and make sure that the goal was was almost a tap in every time, right? So there is a part of that where you have to actually drill that out of him again and get him to shoot. But he just seems to be scared to hit the ball at the moment, and that's such a worry. He did the one opportunities he's had this year. He did almost score. What was Leicester. that? Yeah, that Leicester one. Which I mean, that was that's his kind of like bread and butter, if you want to use a phrase like that. And it only just just went past the post. I don't. I can't actually think of another time he's 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 even attempted a shot shot on goal. Certainly not with his right foot for sure. No. <laughs> yes, you're right. I think we'll go for last, our, our last. last well, don't question. worry. Gary Cahill's coming in to get our goals. <laughs> I think we'll go for our last question here. And this this will be from Nathan Martin, a good friend of the pod. And he says, how did this Fulham squad perform if you dropped them into the club into different leagues? For example, La Liga, Bundesliga, uh, MLS and League A. I'll go, I'll give you, well, just say. Um, I think we'd be probably relegated in La Liga. Quite, quite. Well, the league is was it the tightest league this in all of Yeah, the there's so in La Liga, the there's six points yeah. between the relegation zone and European the European places. spots. Yeah, which is kind of mad, but I still think we'd be struggling 
there are, you know, it depends because maybe Jokanovic's method would have actually worked far better in a slightly oh, yeah, more I think technical league. I think Jokanovic would have, would have worked a lot better if we were in the league. If you look at league this season, apart you, apart from Monaco and you know, even Marseille to an example, then not there's not any there's not really been any the big teams haven't been playing that well. I think we would mm. probably stay up in in Liga just because well half our players seem to be from Liga now. Sorry, <laughs> I, 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 I still don't think we'd win MLS. I think Atlanta United are a better side than we are. I think that's a stretch, but Atlanta United do have probably the best goal scorer to ever grace planet Earth. Josef Martinez. Let's see. Um, no, but I, I do think we'd be probably be fine in La Liga because the technicality of the squad during the, the first part of the season under Ikanovic is probably good enough. And you look yeah. at the likes of Rayo Vallecano, could probably beat them. You look, look, Leganes? Probably Leganes as well. And Hetafe as well, you could probably get past. Um and there is some... Well, we beat Bilbao in the summer, so... Yeah, there... Oh, don't say staking shots at me, mate. <laughs> also, there's some utter dross in, in La Liga this season in terms of defensive. I think... Real Madrid, Bund- for Bilbao. One. Yeah. Bund- Bundesliga are absolutely way too fast for every single one of our players. Like, we'd get absolutely slaughtered about 7-0 by Dortmund. So, um, Dusseldorf bats about 7-0. That bloke on loan from Watford would put about eight past it. Oh, what? Um, Lukey back... Um, Begins with a B. That's oh, I can't remember his name for life for me. Luki Bacchio is his name. Is yeah, Luki Bacchio. Yeah, yeah, but he, he's quality. Yeah, I, I also think we're probably. I think we're struggling mostly. Also, less teams in Bundesliga, so more get battered by everyone. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't because I don't think we get out of the second tier in Germany. No, I, I agree. I agree. Right, let's let's wrap this up, shall we? Farrell, do you want to name this podcast? So yeah, I decided to go with the excellent Fulham outscore Fulham. If we beat Spurs, I'll um, do the next pod in my pants. Just because you're an Arsenal fan. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Catch me on Arsenal Fan TV in my spare time. Each week, each week. Well, all that's left me to do is say thank you very much to Ben Jarman. Thank you. Thank you very much to Don Betts. All right. Off, Don. Thank you very much to Farrell Monk. <laughs> Obrigado. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. We'll see you on Thursday. Fulhamish Extra. Take care, you whites. You whites. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST recommends.